Now, the wealth protection diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating. Her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. It's 4th of July. So first, let's thank our founding fathers for creating such a great country. We get the freedoms today because there was great visionaries in the past. And of course, a big thank you to our military folks who ensure that all of us on this particular weekend get to embrace what true patriotism is about. And with that, I hope you're celebrating with family and friends on this beautiful 4th of July weekend. It has been a clearly accepted evidence for years that not all elements of company wealth are of a physical nature and difficulties encountered in trying to establish the real wealth and value of an organization have become a major challenge with the progress of the knowledge-driven economy. Assets such as information systems, clientele and reputation, brands, competencies and knowledge, training, association to networks, represent an increasing share of company value and have become the most critical factors in the competitiveness of many organizations. Recent estimates suggest that 50 to 90 percent of the value created by a firm come not from management of traditional physical assets, but from management of intellectual capital. If your organization isn't digging deep enough on a regular basis to recognize the wealth of revenue-producing opportunities that may be hiding just below the strategic surface, you could be shortchanging your stakeholders, your company's future, out of a powerful harvest that can make all the difference to your bottom line. As an internationally recognized authority on the legal and strategic aspects of business growth, author Andrew J. Sherman has worked with some of the world's leading companies, helping them strategically leverage their intellectual assets, such as patents, trademarks, customer information, software codes, databases, business models, systems, processes, and employee expertise. I am honored to welcome Andrew Sherman. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Sherry. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. That was really amazing setting of the stage for our discussion today. In your latest, but certainly not your last book, Harvesting Intangible Assets, I really enjoyed how you cleverly compared the fostering of intellectual capital in organizations to the same type of cycle that farmers experience with each new crop. So I'd like for you to start with explaining how that is relevant. There's a lot of touch points there, so if I begin to ramble, just stop me or jump (laughs) in with another question. But there's a couple of ways to begin uh, uh, my approach to the answer to your question. Number one, uh, my grandfather was a farmer in upstate New York, and I talk about Mar Sherman a little bit in the book and how he transformed his businesses uh, over time in the same way that that the entire economy is transforming. And, you know, I I learned a little bit about the farming process um, with that upbringing. 
what I learned and what all of us need to remember is that the reason we don't go to school in the summertime, the reason our children don't go to school in the summertime, is that used to be the harvest period. And most farmers knew that if they didn't bring their crops to the marketplace on a timely basis, those crops would rot and die and be of no commercial value to anybody. And for a farmer, that could be a year's worth of work and all of the money that a farmer needs to, for their family to survive all gone. Um, what we have today is a similar agrarian cycle in technology and intangible assets. And so one of the points I make in the book is that we are all agrarians. We grew up from an agrarian, you know, from an, an agrarian economy to an industrial economy to an information-driven tech, uh, uh, economy, but in many ways we're still agrarians and that our crop the new crop is the crop of knowledge, of systems, of processes, of best practices, and that that's what's driving the value and putting food on the plates of most American families today. And the difference between good companies and great companies or good companies and bad companies is their ability to capture these intangible assets, to manage these intangible assets, and most importantly, uh, to drive new income streams and opportunities from these intangible assets. Well, one of the things that I know you work with, you know, obviously very large companies and, you know, you're, you're a IP attorney and, and understand all of that. But I think one of the most powerful messages in your book is really this doesn't have to be big, giant companies. I mean, every single business, small, medium, and large, has these intangible intellectual assets. Correct. I mean, I do want to clarify something that, that you said. I mean, number one, I am blessed to have a lot of large Fortune 1000 companies as clients, and I thank them all on this show for their support and for their business. But I do have a lot of emerging growth in mid-sized companies, family-owned businesses, technology and non-technology companies. And just as I've said in the book and just as you just reinforced, all of those companies, and I mean every single one of them, is in possession of valuable and tangible assets. It's just a matter of knowing uh, uh, what they are and knowing and, and exerting the effort to look for them. I'll tell you one quick funny story if we have time. Mm -hmm. I was visiting with a client in the Midwest, and um, we spent a day doing some strategic planning around their intangibles. And at the end of the day, he walked me out to my rental car to go back to the airport. He said, you know, spending a day with you, Andrew, is like finding coins under the sofa cushion. Uh, and, I, and I didn't know, like, what to make of that, you know. I, I thought it was a compliment, but I wasn't sure. He said, you just came in and taught us how to get up off our rear ends and how to distinguish, like, you know, the old popcorn and the belly button lint from, uh, from the coins. Yeah. And those were the two things we needed. We needed to know that we could get up and lift up those cushions, and that we needed someone who could help us navigate what's under the cushion, because obviously not everything under the cushion is valuable. Right. Some of it's just like old stuff that needs to be thrown away. So that's really the metaphor uh, you know, it's a, not an agrarian metaphor, but it's a metaphor for a big part of what I do all day is helping companies get off their rear end, understand what they may have been sitting on, and then distinguish the wheat from the chaff, as I talk about in the book, and then try and make hay out of the stuff that does have value. Right. Um, it's not a terribly complex process, but you do have to know what you're looking for. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show, and I have guest Andrew Sherman, who is the author of Harvesting Intangible Assets. 
And so kind of on that finding coins under the cushion, as I'm reading this book, I have to tell you, Andrew, I got really frustrated with myself because I'm exactly one of those organizations that many years I've been developing teleseminars and speaking engagements where I've been recorded and all this stuff that I have that literally is collecting dust in a cabinet. And so I got a little angry at myself, and I know that's part of your message. You're helping us to really think this through and go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the most disruptive, brand new technology. It's simple stuff, too. That's right. You've raised multiple important points, Sherry, and I'm not surprised you're a great radio host, so I expect you'll continue to raise great points, but you raised two important points there. Number one... It doesn't have to be high-tech. You know, this is not the exercise that I'm talking about going through in the book is not just limited to the Cisco's or the Microsoft's of the world. And the second thing is, remember, if you stay in metaphor with coins under the sofa cushion, if you're willing to get up and lift up your rear end and lift up the sofa cushion, the stuff's already there. That's the whole point of the metaphor. You know, I'll go into some companies and they'll say, well, you know, we read your book and everything sounds really interesting, but, you know, we don't have $100 million laying around for R&D budget. And you know what I'll say back? You obviously didn't read my book because the whole point of the book is that some of these assets are already exist. They're, just, they're sitting under your rear end. You just have to lift them up. That, that, that you know, 75 cents that fell out of your pocket is under the sofa cushion and worth 75 cents or more, whether you get up and lift it up or not. But it's there. Right. Well, the other thing, too, You that... know, it's the thing that already exists. That's what really drives me nuts, and I start getting worked up, as you can hear in my voice, is, you know, you think about what's going on in this country around shareholder value and governance best practices, and here are companies sitting on things of value and they're not going through the metaphorical exercise of lifting up the sofa cushion. Right. Well, if you were a shareholder of one of those companies or you had one of those companies' stocks sitting in your retirement account, how would you feel if I said as the CEO, hey, Sherry, by the way, we're sitting on a whole mess of coins under the sofa cushion, but we're too lazy, too dumb, or too stupid to lift it up. I don't think you'd be very pleased at your retirement uh, being dependent on that type of attitude. And really, it's all about leveraging, of course, but for you, I'm guessing that working with emerging companies so you can lay the foundation of this thought process right from the get-go is going to obviously increase revenue in the future, and they don't have to end up, you know, I'm 21 years into this company being absolutely frustrated after reading your book and going, my gosh, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars have I just literally pissed away but there is hope so let me just pick up on that because i've got some other things i want to come back to but so for small and mid-sized companies number one there's less bureaucratic leaders you know layers or tersmanship so sometimes i'll go into a big company and i'll identify families of assets that ought to be better harvested but we've got to get through 19 approvals and, you know, um, uh, well, that involves an asset of a different division and we would have to get their cooperation, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, man, this is just never going to happen inside this, you know, uh, uh, mound of red tape. In a small to mid-sized company, you typically have the decision makers at the table. 
Uh, and so that, that gets removed. But the second piece of what you just brought up is, you know, if, if you go into a $20 billion company and uncover $3 million in new revenue, you know, they're excited. I mean, you're certainly more than paid for your fees, but, you know, it's $3 million in a $20 billion company. If you go into a $20 million company and uncover $3 million of new revenue, uh, by the way, high margin revenue, not low margin, you may have made a significant difference in everyone who works for that company's lives, including the founder and his family. So, you know, that's... Uh, that, that's what we're talking about here is right. are we, you know, can we, we with small and mid-sized companies, we can really move the needle quite significantly uh, if companies take these, uh, these strategies seriously. Andrew Sherman, a true thought leader and author of Harvesting Intangible Assets, which is literally the how-to manual in uncovering the hidden revenue in your company's intellectual property. I suggest you stick with us if you're interested at all in taking your business to the next level. This is Sandy Haslam from Nevada Industry Excellence. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she is a phenomenal networker and is energetic about supporting businesses in Nevada. Sherry Hill is refreshing. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. This is Brad Haddock from the Center for Business Excellence. I want to wish everybody this weekend a happy and safe 4th of July. Well, I hope everybody's enjoying a happy 4th of July weekend. What a special time to spend with family and friends. And so I hope while you're enjoying and barbecuing and lighting fireworks that you also enjoy this show with my special guest, Andrew Sherman. If you missed any part of today's show and would like to listen to the podcast, please visit SherryHillShow.com. Innovation. It's the lifeblood of our global economy and a strategic priority for virtually every CEO around the world. In fact, creativity is the number one leadership competency of the future. The power of innovative ideas to revolutionize industries and generate wealth is evident every day. My guest today is Andrew Sherman, a partner in the Washington DC office of Jones Day and a top rated adjunct professor in the MBA and executive MBA programs at the University of Maryland and at Georgetown University Law School. I met Andrew when he was one of our fabulous speakers at the TEDx event held at UNR earlier this year. What fascinated me about his speech was how relevant it was to something I have been talking about with my own students, which is how do you capitalize and put a value on all of your intangible assets, which literally means you are leaving a lot of money on the table as it relates to your business. Andrew, in your book, Harvesting Intangible Assets, which I absolutely devoured, you talk about fostering a culture... You didn't have indigestion. 
after you <laughs> ate it, you know. Well, you talk, you're talking, you were, but still, you I know, be but eating you, those books like that. You relate it to farmers, and I started thinking of food. So, yeah. anyway, you talk about fostering a culture of innovation. Tell me what you mean. Well, what we're talking about there, you know, whether you look at it from a bottom-up or top-down perspective, um, companies can't harvest intangible assets if they're not planting seeds. If we go back to our agrarian metaphor, you know, you begin with rich soil. You begin with planting the right seeds. You begin with understanding whether there's demand for the seeds that you're planting. You begin with protecting those seeds and making sure that they're properly, uh, you know, uh, uh, nurtured with with water and other nutrients in, in the soil. So that, you know, ground serving as the core to plant crops is the equivalent of culture inside companies. And we could stay in the agrarian metaphor, I'm sure, for the entire hour, but the point here being is, you know, if you are looking at sort of, you know, um, hallowed ground that, that has not been irrigated in years and you expect to grow through innovation, uh, there's a disconnect. You know, if you're looking at moist soil that, that's capable of growing some of the finest Cabernet grapes in the world, you know, you're going to, you've got a viable business there. And so whether, whether people at the bottom-up level recognize that they need to have a culture of collaboration and teamwork and sharing and not have red tape or silos or other things, or whether the leaders of the company insist on it and execute and reward and compensate for it, a, a company cannot engage, you know, in the harvesting of intangible assets from barren soil is really, in a nutshell, the point I'm, I'm making on that in the book. A huge part of your message is that a lot of these assets already exist. So at some point there was innovation, but people have gotten zoned into the daily work environment and they're not thinking strategically or more visionary. And so when you go into these organizations to help them find all these coins hidden under the couch cushion, do you find that the environments are... Um, in a place of stimulation, because you're talking about innovation from everybody in the organization, not just the president or the CEO, when we're talking about exactly. smaller and firms. and by the yeah. way, it's usually not effective if it's just the president and the CEO, because, you know, uh, you'll have your classic leader who gets up there and talks about it, and then nobody executes, or the president talks about it, but then doesn't reward people for it. Remember, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results. Um, so what is going on inside the culture of companies sometimes is, let's say that, uh, Sherry, for the moment, you are a senior engineer at tech company X. And I say to you, Sherry, you know what? You are going to get a massive, I mean massive Christmas bonus if you get three patents registered this year. Well, what do you think Sherry's going to do all day in, in hopes of getting this massive Christmas bonus? She's probably going to work all day and every day on getting these three patents registered. Well, that's great. So now we have three patents. Well, that's an innovative company. You know, three patents, senior engineer gets her Christmas bonus. What do you think happens at the end of the, of the beginning of the next year? Three more patents, Sherry, and you get another big Christmas bonus. Well, what behavior are we sending as a message to Sheriff, get more patents 
right? Right. And, um, and uh, you'll get bigger Christmas bonuses. Well, what if we changed up that model and said, Sherry, forget about filing for patents. How about we actually make some money from these patents now? How about we create partnering relationships? For every licensing agreement you put in place, you get a big, fat Christmas bonus. Well, now what Sherry focused on is the application of this technology into the marketplace, not just growing crops, but bringing crops to the marketplace. And what I see in a lot of uh, HR and, and, and compensation and reward systems is we're encouraging the wrong behaviors and thereby getting the wrong results. Right. And so it's not just whether the company's innovative, it's what is the company doing with that innovation once they create it. It'd be no different than the farmer, yeah, growing a, a whole, you know, acres and acres of the best tomatoes in the world, but then not incenting anyone for picking them and bringing them to the marketplace. Right. I mean, they are the greatest tomatoes in the world, but they're of very little utility if nobody eats them and nobody buys them. Nobody talks about them, right? because you know, we're in a social media era. That's really what we're talking about here is not just the, the culture of innovation can't be just to ideate and to create. It has to be to harvest. That's why the book is about harvesting intangible assets, not just about creating intangible assets. Some companies, you're right, are really good at making stuff. They're not so good at bringing stuff to the market. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show, and I have guest Andrew Sherman, author of Harvesting Intangible Assets. I liked what you talked about, the culture or the behavior, because again, you know, going back to myself and all the years that I've created all this IP and speaking and teleseminars and webinars and all this education that I can put together, it's like, Every time I thought about creating something, my first thought was, well, how do I leverage it? How do I do it once and then leverage it out so I get paid for it multiple times? That's why we write books and yeah. things like that. So, But do you find that a lot of organizations don't really have that mindset, so they're concentrating on this, here's this one patent, like you said, yay, but what are all the applications? And I think that's part of what you help companies figure out. It doesn't just have to be the normal, we're going to get a patent and we're going to license it. There are many ways to leverage it so that you can generate additional streams of income. Exactly. Sherry, if, if, you know, if we were in the studio together right now, I'd give you a huge hug. That's exactly the point. You know, uh, look at franchising. Look at business format franchising. It now makes up 57% of our entire retail GDP. Well, what is a franchise? A franchise is no more than somebody deciding to harvest the intangible assets known as their brands, their systems, their processes, their channels, their best practices, their trade secrets, every once in a while a patent, but usually not. I mean, you know, business format franchising, which is good for a couple trillion dollars a year in revenues, right. is nothing more than the harvesting of those assets. And let me tell you something else. You know, we were talking about the small and mid-sized companies. Look, let's say that a patent has six different applications, six different industries it could serve. Most CEOs of small companies will say, hey, I'm so busy right now, I could barely serve the one industry that we're in, and now you're asking me to serve five others. 
And I say, no. What I'm asking you to do is to create some passive high-margin revenue streams by licensing or partnering the other five markets. But what I don't want you to do is sit on those five other applications and let them collect dust like a coin uh, under a sofa cushion. Right. Because that's a value to your stakeholders. And here's the funny part. You'll probably make more money on the licensing than you will on the production in your core industry. Ralph Lauren? Yeah. I don't think old Ralph makes anything anymore. <laughs> right. but, but he sure does put on his cool shoes every morning and walk down to his mailbox and pick up his royalty checks for licensing a little horse. Yeah. I. Uh... So, you know, I mean, it's not, uh, we're not talking about inventing any new models here. We're talking about, you know, executing properly. Well, and, and again, it, it I oddly enough, I've been working with a, a young physical therapist up in Washington State who is having some, uh, you know, need of my services on, on helping him um, identify some areas that he's missing in his business. And one of the key things that, because he has some tax issues, and so I was, I was doing a drill down with him, and I come to find out this guy is like a prolific inventor. He's, he's done all these things that help him be a more effective physical therapist. He had no idea there were all R, these R&D credits available through the tax code, but more important, you talk about hidden assets. This guy could go out to every other physical therapist in the world because the stuff he created helps him do a better job. It isn't and, disruptive and the way, to the outside. It's disruptive. If you have the time to do it, then you partner with somebody that does. Right. I mean, you know, or if he doesn't have the inclination to do it, then you partner with somebody who does. I mean, you know, we we get so caught up in the old business school uh, mantra of buy versus build. Well, guess what? Buy versus build has a third cousin now. Buy versus build versus partner or license, and you don't have to build it yourself. You don't have to go out and buy it. You could get it through these various strategies that are talked about in the book. This is Sherry Hill. I have guest Andrew Sherman. And our entire conversation today is about harvesting all those intangible assets hidden in your company. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Tom Schwank from the University of Nevada School of Medicine. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she highlights the exciting people and programs in Northern Nevada. Sherry Hill is awesome. Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International. This is Supervisor Karen Abowd from Carson City, Nevada, and you are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she forwards positive conversation on community and regional issues. Sherry Hill is dynamic. Happy birthday, America. This is Tom Taramino with the Center for Business Excellence 
a big believer that we still live in the best country in the world. It's 4th of July weekend. That means barbecue, fireworks, having a great time with family and friends. I hope you enjoy this show that I picked out especially for you with Andrew Sherman. Cash is an asset and we have CFOs, controllers, financial analysts, accountants, and clerks on hand to manage it. People are an asset and we have chief administrative officers, HR managers, personnel specialists, and administrators to manage them. But for the crops of knowledge, brands, systems, protocols, processes, know-how, show-how, channels, relationships, protocols, and best practices, we have no parallel positions on most organizational charts and no parallel systems to properly manage and extract value from these assets. Andrew Sherman, my challenge your thinking guest, is the author of many books, one of which we are talking about today, Harvesting Intangible Assets. Thank you, Andrew, for being available to share this wealth of knowledge you have amassed in working with so many companies to make sure they make the most of everything their organizations have to offer to remain competitive. One clarification and one uh, thing around the title of the book. So uh, just for the purposes of the show and everything else, I'm not technically an IP lawyer. I'm an M&A and corporate transactional lawyer. Mm -hmm. But what I noticed about 15 years ago was that all of my corporate transactions and M&A were around intangible assets. So uh, I don't have a scientific or technical or engineering background like many of my uh, patent law partners here at the firm. And we certainly have plenty of that cover if anybody ever needs uh, IP law. But, you know, I'm actually a transactional lawyer who noticed just how much intangible assets are a part of the transactions I'm dealing with every day. Uh, Very few times does anybody come in and say, hey, I've got $10 million worth of equipment and $10 million worth of inventory. Can you help me sell it? I mean, companies that are coming in on the M&A side are typically – intangible asset rich and tangible asset poor. So just want to clarify that real quick. On the title of the book, I just want to make sure that we get this in as part of the show because it's very, very important. Years ago, probably 15 years ago, there was a book written called Rembrandt's in the Attic. And I was very intrigued with that book. It was one of the first books, I give full credit to the author, uh, to introduce the notion that there might be things of value in a place inside your company that you rarely go, and that's why he chose the attic. I was very uh, enthralled with that book and spent a lot of time talking to CEOs of big, small, medium companies about the notion of Rembrandt's in the attic. About four years ago, maybe five, I realized that there was one critical flaw in the title of the book, which is why I wrote Harvesting Intangible Assets, because you were asking me about the agrarian metaphor, and I just want to make sure that I clarify this. The reason I began to write my own book is I found that while the notion of Rembrandt's in the attic was very interesting, if CEOs believed that the asset that they had in the attic was a Rembrandt and not a tomato, (laughs) what sure might they do? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Why? Because they don't think it has any value. (laughs) Well, no, 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 no. If it's a Rembrandt, Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a Rembrandt, we know it has value, but you're in no hurry, 
right? I mean, yeah. it's a Rembrandt. As long as it's properly wrapped and there's no mice up there or, or, or you know, eating the painting, I'll get to it when I get to it. Right. But if it's a tomato... It's going to rot, so we got to move rot, quick. Which creates a sense of urgency. Yeah. And what I was finding is that the metaphor of the Rembrandt in the attic was an effective metaphor, except... It didn't describe the nature of most intangible assets in today's society. So it was a catchy book title, but if every CEO thinks that these assets are like a Rembrandt, then they'll just, you know, we'll get around to it when we get around to it. Right. But if the, if the CEOs think it's a tomato, then there's a sense of urgency to bring that tomato to the marketplace yeah. before it rots. And be, because, you know, at the, at, remember, under Moore's Law, you know, technology gets twice as good, twice as fast at half the price every 18 months. You know, you can't sit around and be complacent with these assets. I just want to make sure that your listeners understand that point and think about that point. It's not just that you have hidden things of value, as Rembrandt's in the Attic teaches us. It's that you have a sense of urgency in bringing these things to the marketplace because unlike an antique or a piece of art or a bottle of fine French wine, these things are not going to get better with age. Right. In fact, they're going to be of no commercial value. Well, one of the things that you talk about, you speak all over the world and you ask organizations if they have any kind of intellectual asset management system and you're typically greeted with a lot of blank stares. Yeah. So this is great to identify, but we're talking about actually harvesting. So what do you help that's, companies that's understand? That's point that yeah. you opened this segment with about the org chart. I want you to talk about the, the importance of not just identifying, but how do you actually manage all these intangibles to be able to, like you say, take them to market right. or leverage them or do something with them? Well, it, it begins... And this is where your opening of this segment was so insightful. It begins with somebody or more than one human being being accountable for the job. I mean, remember what we talked about with the engineers. If your Christmas bonus is based on more patents, what are you going to do? File more patents. If your Christmas bonus is based on harvesting those patents, then that's what you'll do. But ultimately, someone has to be accountable. I rarely, rarely see an org chart where there's someone accountable for the management of the intangible assets. Now, this is a very important point I'm about to make. We have had a seismic shift. You remember seeing this graph during my TED Talk. In 1975, the ratio of tangible to intangible assets inside the average Fortune 500 company was 85 to 15, 85% tangible, 15% intangible. In, in 2014, that has shifted entirely. Now, the ratio is, is 15 to 85, typically 15% tangible assets, 85% intangible. Now, as you correctly point out, you know, uh, back in 1975, you would have people like facilities managers and inventory managers and, you know, uh, plant floor managers, people accountable for making sure that those hard assets were protected. Now we've had a shift from 85-15 to 15-85, but yet there's no new jobs being created around managing the intangible assets. So it's great. We have, you know, a balance sheet that says we're worth $10 million. 
We have 1.5 million of that in, in desks and chairs and, and laptops, and someone's responsible for keeping track of all that stuff. But we have 8.5 million in intangibles, and no one's accountable for that. Yeah. So how could we, how could that be? How could we have an org chart that ignores the most prevalent assets of the company? How could we have that job missing? And then some people say to me, oh, no, 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 no. We have a chief technology officer. Come on. That's fancy for IT manager. Right. Oh, we have a knowledge management officer. Okay, that's even fancier for, for <laughs> IT manager. Um, but very few times do we have, you know, a chief innovation uh, and intangible asset management capture protection and harvesting officer. I think in the book I called it a chipple. Now, that's a little bit of a long title, but that's pretty much what, you know, what we need to create inside companies in order to drive shareholder value, in order to, uh, in order to stay competitive, and in order to uh, bring new opportunities and ideas to the marketplace. Well, well, one of the things you point out, and certainly like you mentioned earlier, if I'm a $20 billion company and I come up with $3 million in new stuff, yay, thank you. But this really is for those mid-size, those companies that are really stretching to that next level to understand the importance of this position and really to do the IP audit so you can even identify what you have to manage. Exactly. I mean, it's got to start somewhere, and you typically starts there. Um, but I think that, um, you know, part of it is just companies realizing that, that they, have, they have to have someone accountable for this or it won't happen. Someone whose department is being judged for this to happen or it won't happen. Someone who's incentivized to make it happen or it won't happen. And if you're not going to do that, then, you know, maybe hire a third party. Go get an investment banker to help you find value or, do, or a consultant or somebody. But, you know, Procter & Gamble is an interesting story. They are, uh, of course, like a 40 or $50 billion company. But they, there's an article in 2012 Wall Street Journal talking about how they just began to embrace some of these principles and they've already uncovered over $3 billion in new revenue, and it's high-margin new revenue. So even big companies start saying, hey, wait a second, if it was $3 million, yeah, maybe it's just a drop in the bucket, fly on an elephant's rear end. But at $3 billion and it's high-margin, that could actually start affecting earnings. Right. And you know, and that was back in 2012. I mean, it's been two years later. For all I know, they're up to $5 billion in new revenues from harvesting their intangible assets. So the numbers can be significant even for the biggest of companies. Right. There's very few companies on the planet that aren't going to get excited by $3 billion in new incremental high-profit margin uh, revenue streams. Well, and, and even more important, when you're a small to mid-sized company, I mean, even $10,000, $100,000 is exciting. 
our message is this just isn't for the big guys. This is really for every single business owner to look at their company in a different way. And I certainly want them to pick up your book, Harvesting Intangible Assets. Companies of all sizes and in all instances can better optimize their innovation portfolios and achieve better returns on their investments. And that's what it requires, an investment. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is Scott Carey from Nevada 150. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she supports our state. Sherry Hill is battle-born. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Hello, this is Susie Haddock from Intero Real Estate Services. I wish you a happy 4th of July. Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Sherman. I'm a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of Jones Day and author of several books on business growth strategy, including the focus of today's topic, Harvesting Intangible Assets. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she really has the needs of her listeners in mind as she walks the guests through the show with her insightful questions. If we know who the better intellectual capital farmers are around the globe... DuPont, Google, Dow Chemical, IBM, 3M, and Apple, then why can't the rest of us learn from their best practices, strategies, culture, customs, habits, and channels? I would like my guest, Andrew Sherman, author of Harvesting Intangible Assets, to share why he has determined that so few companies are able to routinely convert the ideas of their employees, partners, and customers into durable and sustainable revenue streams, new markets, and profit centers. Welcome, Andrew. You know, this is obviously the most difficult question you've asked me. It's uh, it's perplexed me for some time. You know, uh, it's one of those, you know, why is there no cure for cancer yet? If so many of our fellow Americans and people around the world are dying from cancer, and so people make it their life's work to cure cancer, and, you know, I, I feel that way about harvesting intangible assets. When I was researching the book, I was, you know, my editor kept bothering me and said, you're using the same companies as examples over and over again. And I said, yeah, because there's only a handful of them that seem to get it right. And that was, to this day, I mean, you know, several years after the book has been published and I continue to give lectures around the world, I, I'm wondering the same question. I mean, have we become lazy or complacent? Are we that sort of overweight, middle-aged guy on the sofa who really can't stand up and lift up the sofa cushion even once to see what's under there? You know, uh, do we really think that if we continue to have that attitude, we'll be the number one most innovative country in the world forever? Because we're not. You know, we've dropped down significantly. I mean, look at the STEM crisis in this country. Right. You know, we're producing a lot more you know, psychology majors than we are science, engineering, or mathematics majors. That can't sustain itself. We'll be very well adjusted, but we won't have, 
much we'll like each other better on. yes <laughs> you know i mean china is producing 30 to 40 times the amount of graduates in these areas than we are look at a video called shift make sure you put the f in there shift happens and shift is happening yeah and so i am perplexed by this i mean why can't we do better how could we possibly not be interested in finding coins that are sitting directly under our rear ends. Yeah. I mean, what company wouldn't want to have a few extra shekels in their pocket right. um, by, just by that level of effort? You know, it's not, the theme of the book is typically around things that already exist. Now, look, I'm all for creating new stuff, but the amount of waste of innovation that takes place in this country is embarrassing it's embarrassing and it can't go on and it's happening like you said at small companies big companies technology companies non-technology companies and you know i i must have some x-ray vision because i come in and i see it over and over and over again and even sometimes when i identify it for the company it's like i lift up the sofa cushion for you I pick it up, I show you the coins, and you still don't do anything about it. I mean, how much more can we do to help these companies recognize these assets? Right. Short of, of leaving my law practice and going inside the companies and doing it for them, uh, which obviously I'm not doing anytime soon, you know, that's, uh, that's as far as I can get in the process. It, it's a little bit like that line from Jerry Maguire, you know, help me to help you. You have to be committed as a company to making this a priority before people like you and I, Sherry, can help companies move the needle. Right. Now, if they are committed, beautiful things happen. You know, Procter & Gamble, $3 billion in new incremental revenue streams just because they decided to, you know, loosen up their policy just a little bit on the ability to leverage intangible assets that for a hundred years they had kept to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Moving of the needle can take place. I just thought of a new revenue stream for you. You can patent your ability to find those coins under the cushion and train others to go do it, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's a great suggestion. Uh, I don't know if I'll get around to it. I don't right. want to be cobbler's children, no shoes. Right. But, uh, you know, they keep me pretty busy here. But again, that, you know, that comes back to some of what we've talked about earlier is really the culture of innovation, the behavior within the organization to think about every single thing that they're doing and look at it in a way to say, is there a way I can leverage this, whatever this is, in um areas or with other people that I'm not thinking about. And so I'm guessing it's it's going to take, I mean, they're not getting it out of the entrepreneurial uh, schools around the country because they're still teaching them how to be accountants, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, even our, uh, even the entrepreneurship programs at the major business schools are teaching entrepreneurship and business planning and capital formation and things that we want them to teach, of course, but even those programs are short on innovation, innovation management, innovation harvesting, intellectual asset management. I mean, if you look at the curriculum of even the top business schools in the country, I challenge you to find me any courses that have those titles. Right. Uh, 
you know, there's still a lot of work to be done in teaching people. You know, some people say, well, we can't teach people how to be creative. No, we probably can't. What we can do is teach them how to make hay out of people, other people's creativity. Right. Right. Remember, it doesn't have to be invented inside the four walls of your company for you to harvest it. In fact, part of the point of the book is just the opposite. Look in other people. Look at other places. Look at universities, governments, other companies that may be innovative. And then you, perhaps the entrepreneurial company, be the person that brings it to the marketplace. I right. Mean, many <laughs> farmers are not in the trucking business. You know, when I was up in Napa recently with my family, we, we were at one winery doing a tour, and this big truck pulled up. And I said to the, the person giving the tour, I said, who is that person? And they said, oh, that's our bottling truck. And if you get onto the truck, you see this intricate bottler, and he drives around, basically, and bottles. You don't, you know, he doesn't have to make the wine. He's the guy who bottles and packages the wine. Right. And, and the and winemaker so, can you know, now concentrate you, you on the wine. guy in the channel. <laughs> yeah. But the winemaker can now concentrate on making wine. He doesn't have to go he out and... He doesn't have to have <laughs> half his facility devoted to a bottling and labeling and boxing function that, by the way, only happens a couple times a year. So why would you want to allocate all that overhead? Right. I would like for you to just give a, a good action step that you think our listener, besides buying your book, Harvesting Intangible Assets, I'm highly recommending because, as I said earlier, I got so frustrated but motivated after reading this book to go, I have to do an IP audit. I've really got to understand what I'm leaving on the table. You said it before, okay? You said the A word, and we haven't talked about the A word. So my parting, my parting thought here would be the A word, which is to audit, to take inventory, to understand, start with what you may be sitting on. Start with that search through the house, if you will, and find the things, whether they're in the attic, the kitchen, the basement, right in front of your eyes, the bedroom, you know, under the sofa cushion. I mean, take inventory of what you have. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your shareholders. You owe it to your employees. You owe it to your customers. I mean, be proactive in taking inventory. Once you take inventory, you may be pleasantly surprised with what you have that's capable of leveraging. And here's the last point. Even if you take inventory and are unpleasantly surprised and have mostly belly button lint and, and old popcorn under your sofa cushion, then you turn to the sofa cushions of others and see what they're sitting on that you can leverage. So there's always going to be an inventory of assets that are under leveraged uh, and sometimes they're inside the four walls of your company, and sometimes they're elsewhere. But right. you're, it, either way, you get to the same result. Right. Which is, A, Which is being more competitive. Better, right? better use of these assets <laughs> to drive shareholder value. Right. But it also is going to allow people to be more competitive. And so part of this is knowing your industry, knowing your business, knowing your competitors, and figuring out a way to create competitive advantage, first and foremost, with what you already have but have not leveraged. And then second, how can you solve problems within the industry? Like, the, like I mentioned, the physical therapist. That's not for the consumer. That's for every other physical therapist. And they don't even know he has these new tools and great ways to be a better physical therapist. 
So he he has left so much money on the table, but again, fortunately, I'm reading your book. I was able to share it with him, and now he's going to be able to create a whole new stream of revenue off of what he just invented for himself. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Folks, I hope the information shared today will encourage you to reclaim some of your youthful curiosity. Staying curious keeps us engaged and our organizations alive. Imagine how competitive your company will be two years from now without innovators if its people didn't find any new ways to improve its processes, products, or services. Clearly, your company would not survive. This thought-provoking conversation today laid out the tools you need to reveal the bumper crop lying just below the surface of your organization. So again, I'd like to thank Andrew Sherman, author of Harvesting Intangible Assets, for joining me today. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Thank you, Sherry, for having me. I can't wait to uh, listen to the show over and over again and share it with everyone I know. I appreciate it, and I know that you're on to your next book, of course. You're a prolific writer, so please reach out again so we can talk about your next brilliant thought process. Great. I would enjoy coming back again sometime soon. Thank you. All right, everybody, make it a great week. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for the Sherry Hill Show. Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, you actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should? Like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Happy 4th of July! Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International.